I have been really looking forward to doing this episode. Yeah. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Ooh. But it is the story of a man that I'm sure you've heard of. Okay. And this story is one of big ideas. It's of his rise to fame, of his technological revolution that swept America, but then ultimately how he lost it all (gasps) and a mystery surrounding his death. So today we are talking about Nikola Tesla. Oh, awesome. But there is so much off this kind of well-trodden Tesla path that I want to kind of explore today. Twists and turns. There are inventions, there are ideas, there are events that you may not have associated with Tesla. Radar, robotics, and a death ray. I'm sorry, what? Wait, 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 wait. We will get to it. That was my little tease. (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, hashtag clickbait. Uh, (laughs) We're going to get to a weird connection with Donald Trump. No, 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 Greg. Hmm. What? Welcome to Surprisingly Brilliant, a science history podcast from Seeker that tells the stories of surprising yet brilliant discoveries, ideas, or indeed people. I'm Greg Foote. I'm Marin Hunsberger. And I am listening to this story, which Greg is about to tell me, and sounds like a doozy. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I say, it's going to be a long one, but I have loved researching this. Um, There was so much I wanted to share with you. So grab a cup of tea, pull up a chair, or... I guess more realistically, stand there awkwardly on the bus or sit bumper to bumper in a queue. Uh, so for this episode, I had the pleasure to chat to Mark Seifer, uh, an author and retired professor who's written a number of books on Tesla, including Wizard, The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla, uh, which has all sorts it's of accolades. great title. It is, right? It was called uh, Serious Scholarship by Scientific American, Revelatory by Publishers Weekly, and is highly recommended by the American Association for the Advancements of Science. Consider me recommended. He's got another book coming out this year. I'm sure he will mention that later, um, which uncovers new facts, which I want to mention in this podcast. Let's start then with where Tesla starts. Well, Tesla was born in 1856. He was born during a lightning storm. The midwife said that this would be a child of darkness. And Tesla's father, of course, lifted up the baby and said, no, this will be a child of light. And I love this story because, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. Spoiler alert, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know about <laughs> Tesla, um, his life is all about light and electricity. And electricity? So this is like this a is wonderful story to so kind of begin appropriate. with. What Thank a, you, Mark. What a harbinger of Tesla's glory to come. <laughs> That's so funny. So he's born in uh, Lika, which is what is now Croatia. Mm. His father is a priest of the Serbian Orthodox Church and a gifted writer and poet. Uh, his mother is an inventor. Who, who came up with appliances to help with home and farm jobs, including a mechanical egg beater. Whoa, so she's on the invention gig as well. Yeah, and you can kind of see that that kind of mix of genetics, that mix of upbringing is going to influence Tesla, I'm right? sure. One story uh, about Nico, that's kind of as he's, as he's known oh, as a I'm kid, sorry, are you, apparently. Are you on first name, uh, yeah. nickname basis with Nicola? Um, <laughs> apparently he sees a steel engraving of Niagara Falls and it makes him imagine a huge water wheel being turned by it. And he, he proudly tells his uncle that one day he will go to America and capture energy like that. I'm sorry, how old is he? He's like young. Oh, jeez. I reckon sub 10. Whoa. All right. So he wants to be an engineer, but his dad insists that he goes into priesthood. However, an opportunity presents itself when he's around about 17 years old. Well, what happened, there was a lot of illness in that area. Tesla was very interested in purifying water. He got maybe cholera, maybe had malaria, but he was very sick. And he had always wanted to be an engineer and his father wanted him to be a priest. But he was much more interested in electricity and in electrical engineering. So at death's door, 
he said, if you would let me study electrical engineering, uh, I think I could get better. And of course, his father agreed, and his father uh, got him a position at, at Graz University in Austria, which was like the, the MIT of the area. Okay, so pro tip, if your parents won't let you study what you want to study, just get really sick and then be like, I'll die <laughs> if, you don't, water. if you don't uh, let me be an engineer. <laughs> Jeez, but Dad, I've got cholera and I'll totally get better if I can do that thing I really want to do. That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> so um, he enrolls to study mechanical and electrical engineering. He's clearly super bright. Uh, but that leads to a rather heated debate with a professor, something that will, again, uh, very much shape his life. It's over something called a gram dynamo. Okay. They had a dynamo, which, you know, you use to convert a mechanical action into electrical energy. And so that's, you know, one of the first generators. And once you convert it into uh, electrical energy, then you can run a motor. Where, so where is that energy come, coming from at the beginning? So by actually turning a thing, that's the mechanical action. <gasps> turning a thing um, generates electrical energy. Okay, so it's like one of those bikes. Have you seen one of those bikes where you can get on and it's like a demonstration of how motion can produce electricity? And as you turn the pedals, it lights up a light bulb or it like makes a smoothie mach machine go or something like that. Exactly that. It's basically exactly that. But you can also get a dynamo that goes on your bike that kind of sticks on the side of your wheel. Um, we have them in the UK. I don't know if you've got them in the, in the States. Uh, and it kind of pushes on your wheel. And when your wheel turns it, that can generate an electric current to light up a little kind of front light. Go, oh. Yeah, it doesn't power the bike, sadly. Not enough of them for that one. But um, yeah, it gives you a bit of light at the front. And that's a dynamo. Got it. They're using this dynamo. And I think we need to chat about electricity, right? Yeah, sure. Electricity is the flow of electrons, the flow of charged particles. How much oomph they have, that essentially determines the voltage. Okay, so that's voltage. And how many are flowing determines the current. Okay, so we've got voltage, we've got current. And there are two types of electric current. There's either direct current, DC, okay. or alternating current, AC. Do we know if the band is named after? Is that why yeah, ACDC AC, is DC. named after? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With direct current, uh, Electricity, electricity only goes in one direction, but it's very inefficient. And the reason why it is so inefficient is because electricity, by its nature, is alternating. What that means is it changes its direction of flow. So with DC, direct current, uh, electrons are essentially hopping from atom to atom to atom in one direction. Okay. Great band. Anyway, um, <laughs> with AC, alternating current, the electrons hop from atom to atom in one direction for a while, then they switch and they move in the opposite direction. Um, normally 50 or 60 times a second, Ooh. they're switching direction, which is just phenomenal. So that gram dynamo converts mechanical action, turning the handle, mm -hmm. into DC electricity. Which I can imagine is more useful, at least at the outset, because you want it to go in one direction because you want it to go towards something you're trying to power, I imagine. Well, it's it's uh, useful. F yes, you want it to flow through that LED or you want it to be used to drive a motor, mm -hmm. which I guess is what this dynamo is doing. But the problem, as Mark kind of hinted with, with direct current, is that it loses that oomph over a very short distance. Oh, it gets weaker. Yes, which means you need lots and lots of power plants if you want to send that a long distance. A really big bike. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, that comes down to the wires essentially losing power as heat. The wires mm. are heating up and they're and losing. And that's resistance? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. AC on the other hand, alternating current, 
that could be transmitted easily over long distances and the voltage could be stepped up or stepped down using a transformer, but no one has yet found a way to harness that AC for a motor. Tesla is arguing with his professor that an AC generator would be much more efficient than the DC generator, the gram dynamo that he can see in front of him. Mark has a really good way to visualize this challenge um, and he wants to introduce us to something called a commutator. If you want to create a circular event, let's say you want to create, generate electricity, um, you could envision, say, a water wheel being run by a, a downstream. I think we've all been to waterfalls and we've seen water wheels spinning by downstream. But suppose that stream was spinning upstream, then downstream, then upstream, then downstream at many times a second. How can you make that water wheel go in one direction? So what they did was they eliminated the upstream. So you only have the downstream. So you would eliminate the alternating side of, of the current. The device that was used to do that was something called a commutator. So the commutator took the naturally occurring alternating current and converted it into direct current. And everyone was using direct current. So Tesla just had an intuitive feel that since electricity by its nature is alternating, there should be a way to harness alternating current without that commutator. And he said to Professor Poschel, I think you can remove that commutator. So basically, this is, a, this is at its core, it's an argument <laughs> between them. And uh, Tesla's saying, look, there is a way to improve on this DC generator, this DC motor, essentially. And uh, his professor's like, nah. <laughs> nah. And, and that's a little tete-a-tete. And this argument in class is something that's going to stick with Tesla for years. This is pretty central to Tesla's yes. story, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe it starts this early. Like, I didn't know that we're starting right when he's becoming an engineer. Oh, just as a quick footnote, many people often incorrectly say that Tesla invents AC, mm. alternating current. He doesn't. All right, alternating current was developed in principle by Michael Faraday uh, and in practice by Hippolyte Pixie in the early 19th century. <laughs> Is that a person? That's amazing. <laughs> um, and before Tesla was born, there were AC devices used for medicine, which he was, I'm, I'm sure, studying at university. What he became obsessed with was developing an AC motor. Mm. He's also obsessed with something else. I don't know if you knew this. Gambling. I did not know that. Oh, that's not good. For his <laughs> trajectory into the future. <laughs> Is this some foreshadowing? You're doing eyebrows at me, Greg. <laughs> he went to Maribor and he started gambling. He was playing cards and he was gambling. He was getting drunk. And he actually found himself getting arrested and sent back home. Now, his father, who was this priest right there in the town, realized that if indeed he did uh, graduate college, he would owe uh, the money that they had lent him to go to the university and he would have to be conscripted into the army for eight years. So that's the situation. Essentially, um, he's got a loan. He's in trouble. And he's going to need to pay that loan back if he graduates. Um, so I guess they kind of think... Maybe just don't maybe go back. Maybe don't graduate. <laughs> and then you won't have to owe any money or join the army. But I didn't know that Tesla was like into gambling and getting and drunk I, and he I got arrested. I feel and... like I just saw him as a big, big nerd. Big, like, quiet, nerdy guy. So he drops out of university... Um, which means he doesn't need to pay the money back. And then interestingly, he does the same thing with a school in Prague. Oh, so he's he's like, he's uh, taking advantage of like free gym memberships, you know, for like the, the two <laughs> weeks at a time. Yeah. <laughs> but with the university. But with uni, with, with academic study. 
but eventually he gets a job in Budapest. He's 24, uh, it's 1881, and he has a flash of brilliance about the motor. See what you did there. Now, in his own words, okay, one afternoon, which is ever-present in my recollection, I was enjoying a walk with my friend in the city and reciting poetry. <laughs> As you do. Like you do. As I uttered the inspiring words, the idea came like a flash of lightning, and in an instant the truth was revealed. I drew with a stick on the sand the diagram shown six years later in my address before the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. This sounds like a little bit of fictionalizing after the fact. I'm not going to lie, Tessa. <laughs> Before we find out what that brilliance was and then how it changes the future of America, uh, it's time for a quick break. Okay, we're back. This is Surprisingly Brilliant, and today we're talking about Tesla. Uh, I'm going to get to some of his more outlandish ideas in a bit, uh, including that death ray. I need to know, Greg. But first, it's 1881. Uh, we've just heard how he's walking through Budapest and finally hits on on this way to make an AC motor. In a flash of lightning. In a flash of brilliance. I'm, I'm noticing a theme. I asked Mark to describe the motor design to me. What he came up with was two currents out of phase with each other. So one current is changing from uh, north to south to north to south. It's, it's you know going back and forth, changing its direction. Uh, uh, at many times a second, and another current, which is set up perpendicular to that, is also changing its current uh, back and forth. It's uh, north and south, north and south, north and south. And if you time it correctly, you can get the north pole to go in a circle by having two currents out of phase with each other. It was a fundamental idea because what Tesla had done, had done was he had done away with the commutator. And now you could harness... A, alternating current unencumbered. So what this meant was we had a much more efficient machine. Right, not a problem if you didn't get that. But basically Tesla's... Yeah, basically his design is genius. Designing something that's never been designed before. So now Tesla has got to find someone to buy into this idea. Because it's a, a pretty risky move, right? It's a little bit of a gamble, one might say. Is that like everything up until now has been DC mm -hmm. and now this is introducing this whole new way uh, this whole new ecosystem for electricity. He doesn't have any luck for a while. Mm. Uh, he starts working for electric power companies in Strasbourg and then Paris. And he is working on DC generators because that is, as we say, that is what is happening at, at the time. And it's when he's in Paris that he meets the greatest electrical engineer in the world, Thomas Edison. Uh -huh. Marin, what is Edison famous for? The light bulb? Yeah, so um, here's the thing. Edison's often credited with inventing the light bulb, but sure. that isn't actually the case. What? Many before him had designed and developed different versions of a light bulb. However, Edison did develop a practical light bulb, right? So something that was less expensive, that uh, lasted longer before burning out, and he found a way to sell it. Oh, so he's just a really good businessman. Well, he does mod it as well. He does mod it to make it more practical. But yes, he then also finds a way to, to get lie. it out there. I've been lied to. Um, he's already made his mark elsewhere as well, uh, as Mark told me. Edison was a wizard. He had invented a machine that talked, a machine that could speak in different languages, could re reproduce the sounds of birds, um, which of course was the phonograph. Elsewhere, actually, when I was researching this, I read in multiple places that Tesla met Edison first in New York. Hmm. Um, 
that he was aged, I think it was 28, it was 1884, and that he sails to New York City with, I quote, four cents in his pocket uh, and a letter from his former employer that was addressed to Thomas Edison. And the letter says, my dear Edison, I know two great men and you are one of them. The other is this young man. Wow. However, Mark burst that bubble and he said, nah, that's not actually the way it went. Oh man, that's such a good story. He had already met him in Paris. I, I discovered a meeting they met. They had in Paris that had never been discovered before. Edison mentions it. He said that he, they, had, they went out to dinner. And uh, he's joking about Tesla because Tesla's very skinny. <laughs> so whatever happened, <laughs> Tesla does end up in New York. Uh, and he is there with Edison. And I want to um, paint you a picture. I'm ready. Uh, so walking along the streets of New York, of America, is dangerous because above you hangs a tapestry of sagging electrical cables that have been known to shock kids who scurry up the lampposts. You've got got to dodge the electric trolleys carrying people to work and often electrocuting pedestrians. And that actually is apparently why the Brooklyn baseball team was called the Brooklyn Dodgers. Because you have to dodge a a cable car to avoid being electrocuted or hit? That's amazing. There are about 3,000 local power plants in New York and the Northeast. Loads of pollution. uh, And those power plants are run by three competing electrical companies. There was Edison Electric. There was George Westinghouse, Westinghouse Electric. And and Elihu Thompson had the Thomas Houston uh, electrical company. So you've got Edison Electric, uh, Westinghouse Electric, and uh, Thomas Houston Electrical Company. Okay. And Tesla ends up meeting with Edison. Whichever way it happens, he meets with the big man. And Mark told me yet another amazing story. This guy is a gold mine. Here he comes. Edison had um, light bulbs placed on uh, an ocean liner, and it, the, it didn't work. And he didn't know what to do because he, he couldn't get the motor to work. And Tesla went over there at five in the morning and fixed the motor. And Edison is walking, you know, very early in the morning. He sees Tesla coming uh, off the docks. And he says, where have you been? He says, I just fixed the boat for you. And so that was an amazing moment which endeared uh, Edison to Tesla. And Tesla then thought, that this is my big chance. I'll now explain to Edison how to harness alternating current and do away with the commutator. That's Edison understood that aspect of it and thought it was simply impossible. So he, he blocked his mind and he wouldn't un- allow Tesla to explain his invention. So Tesla proves himself. He, he fixes this big problem for Edison. He's like, hey, man, I'm a smart guy. I got an idea for you. And Edison's like, no. Because he was so set in his ways, because the prevailing view of the time was that AC is not going to work. Right. You cannot build this AC motor. But was Edison also protecting his business interests? Yes, Marin. Oh. Yes, if you something. think if you think about it, his whole system is based on on DC. Right. And and as we've said, he's an astute businessman. He's he's a marketer, you know, in addition to being an inventor and an engineer. And so he's thinking, "Hey, if this all changes, maybe my business is not ready for that." Although, you know, at the time Tesla is is with him, is working with him right. for him. They're um, on the same side. So, you know, if AC does end up better, they could do it together. Weird. But I do think that's a, a thought that kind of runs through a lot of this story. He obviously does see Tesla's brilliance though, and he hires him to improve his DC generators, his direct current Tesla's generators. Tesla's like, not more DC, man. And Edison says that if Tesla does it and he does improve the DC generators, he'll give him $50,000. So several months of doing what Tesla does, which is basically thinking everything through in his brain before actually 
putting anything down on paper. Mm-hmm. He does it. He, he finds a way to improve these DC generators, but Edison never pays him. He doesn't get the 50,000. He says it was a joke. <gasps> and he says, I quote, when you become a full-fledged American, you will appreciate an American joke. Um, no. Rude. Unsurprisingly, Tesla quits. Uh, yeah, you would. He later mocks Edison, actually. He says, um, quote, if Edison had a needle to find in a haystack, he would proceed at once with the diligence of the bee to examine straw after straw until he found the object of his search. I was a sorry witness to such doing that a little theory and calculation would have saved him 90% of his labour. Tell, tell us how you really feel, Tesla. <laughs> so Tesla's unemployed in America. He didn't get $50,000 that he was, you know, counting on. He's quit his job. He's not friends with Edison. So what does he do? He's got this big idea and no one's buying it. He starts digging ditches to make money. That seems like a radical departure. There's kind of an irony in this, as as Mark uh, explains. And you see, the irony of it, for me anyway, would be that Tesla would be digging the ditches, putting in the wire system for Edison, knowing that uh, he was eventually be interested in wireless communication. Yeah, a couple of things in, in that clip. So one, the ditches are for Edison's cables. <laughs> so he's still working for the man, Poor basically. Um, and the second thing is just mentioned that in the future he's going to be interested in wireless communication. Tesla's interested in wireless mm, communication. That's something we are going to get to Ooh. big time. After a year of digging ditches, he meets a guy who's an electrical engineer and has connections to a banker. Tesla gets to pitch his motor design to this banker. Finally. And amazingly, the Western Union company back him. He's now got money. He sets up a lab, which interestingly happens to be close to Edison's office, which I feel is a big like. I know. Yeah, like, come on, man. Come at me. I'm, I'm making symbols in you. It's <laughs> not going to come He's across on a in, podcast. an inappropriate gesture over here. Um, and he sets to work. And he later says, I quote, uh, the motors I built there were exactly as I imagined them. I made no attempt to improve the design, but merely reproduced the pictures as they appeared to my vision, and the operation was always as I expected. I love Tesla's retelling of all of this. He's like, yeah, I'm basically a genius. <laughs> so what was the impact? Because people could not believe that you could harness alternating current and that you'd have an efficient motor. It sounded like magic because, again, how could you harness something with electricity going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards of thousands of times a second? He had solved that problem. So uh, Professor uh, Anthony studied the motor and said it was 90% efficient. This was huge. This was a huge letter of recommendation from a very prominent uh, man who was the president of the Electrical Engineering Society of the day. Word quickly spreads. And at this point, Tesla gets approached by someone who is going to be instrumental in growing his success and his fame. Okay, he's on a roll. He's got the backing. It's going well. Somebody's like, yeah, man, this thing works. Someone's given him like the big stamp seal of approval. This man who approaches him is George Westinghouse. (gasps) Who's Edison's competitor. Yes, well remembered. So uh, he's an industrialist from Pittsburgh. He was the inventor of uh, railroad air brakes. Westinghouse likes the sound of Tesla's AC motor. And he thinks, hang on a minute, if this is as good as it says it is, this could be a competitor to DC. This could be a competitor to He's like, this could be a leg up on getting the jump on my competitor. So he offers to license the patents and he offers him $60,000. All right, better than Edison. Yeah. Great. The money that never materialized. Uh, 5,000 of that is in cash and 150 shares in the company. He also offers him significant royalties for any AC electricity that they sell in the future. That's generous of him. And Tesla says, yes, please. Sounds good. 
Does he get it in writing this time, though? Because I feel he like yeah. <laughs> that was a key mistake. Good thinking <laughs> business. Yeah, right? <laughs> but there was kind of a bigger picture going on with this. The real goal was to set up the system at Niagara Falls. In those days, they thought that all the industries in the Northeast would have to move up to Niagara Falls and put them right on the falls because you could only send electricity about a mile. They knew the Tesla system was more efficient, but they had no idea what they what he really could do, and that was be, be to send electricity hundreds of miles, not just one mile. So they have this incredible resource of this this waterfall, Niagara Falls, that yes. is the potential of so much energy production. And they're limited up until now by the fact that DC can't travel very far without getting weaker, right? Exactly. So this is the turning point. Yes. They, they, they were initially thinking that essentially all industry was going to need to move to be right next to Niagara Falls because it had to be within that small <laughs> distance so that DC generated in the falls could get to them. So their big plan is like, let's find a way to use that energy and send it further. And wait, doesn't this come back to Tesla's childhood when yes, he's looking at that at that engraving exactly. of Niagara Falls? So we're going to get to Niagara Falls very soon. Uh, first, though, it's time for the War of the Currents. Whoa. And the warring factions are Edison versus Westinghouse and Tesla. Dun, dun, dun. The, the question is, will Edison Electric's direct current or Westinghouse Electric's alternating current Tesla's design mm -hmm. be the technology to power the world. Whoa. So it's AC versus DC ultimate smackdown for the future of electricity. It sure is. And they each launch an offensive to essentially shade the other's tech. Like a PR campaign? And worse. Oh, Listen to this. No. Tom Edison was like a god. Um, he was the wizard of Menlo Park. And so if he said his system was the better system, many people thought that that was true. And he started electrocuting cats and dogs and horses and even an elephant was electro electrocuted with AC to try and prove that AC was uh, a terrible current. Jeez, Edison, you didn't have to go that far. My God. Yeah, he's electrocuting animals. Just to prove that it's more dangerous? To show how dangerous alternating current That's was. That's horrible. Right, then comes the Chicago World Fair. I love World fairs, right? They, <laughs> Your face just now. They put on so this like excited. amazing showcase. They showcase the achievements of nations. They last months, right? They have these huge, elaborate buildings built to host them. They're super cool. I wish I could have gone to one. Anyway, <laughs> so so this was set to be the first all electric World's Fair. Whoa, big deal! Whoever would get to light the Chicago World's Fair of eighteen ninety three would be able to prove that that was the best system. That was the first stage. Uh, to get to Niagara Falls. So AC and DC are competing to light this first all-electric World's Fair. Yeah, and Westinghouse undercuts Edison's company by half a million dollars. So he says, I'll do it for cheaper. Yeah, and he wins the tender. Nice. So May the 1st, 1893, the president turns on the City of Light. Whoa! And 100,000 electric lamps light up the fairgrounds building. Can you imagine at the time, like you've got maybe one light bulb in your house and seeing all of them come on at once would be just mind-blowing. You've got about 27 million people coming to this fair, right? And they see the power, they see the might, they see the beauty of alternating current. From then on, AC is the favoured method of power. Oh, so they win this this PR campaign. They win this battle to win the hearts of the nation. <laughs> yep. Um, even even Edison eventually changes his system to AC. Of course he does. It's because it, it makes more sense. However, uh, the war of currents really takes it out of both of them. There's a whole kind of <laughs> negative side of this, right? Financially, they're pushed to absolute breaking point. Mm. Also, they're a big 
financiers, especially JP Morgan, um, that start manipulating the stock market. They try to instigate a takeover. Uh-oh. They want to kind of take over all three of those different electrical companies, you know, turn them into a massive monopoly. Um, and in order to deal with these mounting costs, Westinghouse asks something of Tesla to step away from his royalties. He said, I'm in this huge war. It's costing me a fortune in legal fees. And um, my backers don't want to pay your royalty clause. And so, uh, so Tesla said, uh, you mean a piece of paper is preventing you from, from uh, winning this battle? He said, yes. Yeah. So, so Tesla stupidly uh, ripped up the, the royalty clause. That's a bad move, Tesla. That's a bad. I mean, but here's the thing is like, I love that that sentiment that he just loves the technology so much. He's so passionate about it that he's like, well, I want to see it work. So, OK, sure. Don't pay but me. Also, you know, it's, I think it's in honor of the fact that Westinghouse takes that first punt on him that he trusts this invention idea enough to kind of finance the start of it mm. and that Edison kind of betrayed him. I also don't see how he could have thought it through because he's already owed millions, right? And with AC just spreading and spreading and spreading, that's a, that would grow to billions. He just rips his contract up. That physically causes me pain. <laughs> but Niagara Falls is about to happen. Tesla's childhood dream after looking at that steel engraving of Niagara Falls and imagining that huge water wheel being turned by it, that is about to become reality. So the British physicist, Lord Kelvin. Of Kelvin degrees? Uh, Kelvin degrees. <laughs> exactly that. I yeah. mean, not that they're called Kelvin degrees, but you know, like the temperature measurement. <laughs> Are they not called Kelvin degrees? No. They're just called Kelvins. They're just called Kelvin. Yeah, you have to yeah, say Yeah, because I was Kelvin. thinking you either call it degrees Celsius or degree, degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. but yes, it's, it's just, just going to be Kelvin. Kelvin. I've gotten in trouble many a time as a science student for saying degrees Kelvin, and then a science teacher is like, no, it's just Kelvin. So yeah, Kelvin came over to the Chicago welfare, and he had previously been in favour of DC over okay. AC, and but he sees the city of lights. And He's like convinced. Lots of people, he changes his mind, and he asks Westinghouse whether they could use AC to harness the power of Niagara Falls. Everyone knows that this would be an amazing, amazing thing to do. To tell a very long story, very, very short, The project's a nightmare. I can imagine. Investors have to double down. They have to increase their investments. There are a bunch of construction issues. But on November the 16th, 1896, the switch is flipped. The might of the falls generates power and that lights up Buffalo. And later, actually, the whole subway system of New York City. No way. Also, this is 1896. That's way earlier than I had thought of electricity being ubiquitous. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. However, classic Tesla throughout all of this, right, throughout the City of Lights, throughout Niagara Falls, um, he's been getting interested in something else. Oh, he's getting he's getting sidetracked. Something I'm going to tell you about after the ads. We're back and Tesla has managed to harness the might of Niagara Falls, but he's also been tinkering with something else. And that something else is high frequency electricity. Let me lay down some science. I need okay. to know. High frequency electricity, as you may expect, is electricity mm? at a high frequency. Ah, who'd have thought? Um, high frequency means it's fluctuating very fast. Okay. Now, there had been some big developments in this area. In 1873, James Clark Maxwell had shown theoretically that light was a form of something called electromagnetic radiation. So a type of energy that moves through space as waves, actually both an electric wave and a magnetic wave. And there are lots of types of electromagnetic radiation. Because they're at different wavelengths, right? They've got like peaks and valleys that are either squished together or a little further apart. Absolutely. Got and, it. And the distance between those peaks is the wavelength. Got it. And how often they're wiggling up and down per second, essentially, mm. is their frequency. Visible light, the light we see around us, that is electromagnetic radiation. But when the waves get shorter and they wiggle more often, therefore, when 
their frequency goes up, they become ultraviolet waves mm. and then X-rays. Which we can't see. If instead the waves get longer than visible light, which means they wiggle less, mm-hmm. they're lower frequency, uh, you get infrared, mm. microwaves, and then radio waves. These all sound very familiar. In 1888, Heinrich Hertz showed experimentally that these waves were indeed all electromagnetic radiation by demonstrating that an electric spark sends out radio waves. Ooh, what a cool experiment. Tesla hears about this, hurts his work, and he gets really excited with the idea of the wireless transmission of energy. Which is like what we're talking about with like radio, which is coming way, 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 way later. Or like our cell phones? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Whoa. So he's having this idea way back in the 1800s. Yeah. The turn of the, uh, the end of the 19th century, the turn wow. into the 20th. So this idea, this wireless transmission of energy is sending energy, sending electricity through the air. And he thinks that high frequency electricity is going to be the way to do this. And it's going to generate even brighter lights, which is going to do away with Edison's hugely wasteful incandescent lamp in the process. Double bonus. The problem was that Often his experiments blew themselves apart. Uh, not good. But he does eventually build something that you may have heard of, the Tesla coil. Yes, yes. Have you seen a Tesla coil? Can you describe it to me? Unfortunately, never in person. But isn't no. it? No, I've never seen one in person. But isn't it a big metal coil that you like just out electricity everywhere? And they look really dangerous and kind of freaky. Yeah, that's basically it. Essentially, a Tesla coil takes electricity coming in from a supply and amplifies it. It boosts it big time. And Tesla gets particularly excited to discover that he can use it to light up a vacuum tube without wires. If people were this hesitant to believe that AC could work and that Tesla was on the right track with AC. Can you imagine what they're thinking of his experiments now that look insane and he's like talking about invisible waves going through the air? You just wait for what his experiments become. Oh no. He also invented fluorescent lighting. He did away with the filament. You know when you, you change a light bulb you burn your fingers because the light bulb produces mostly heat. That was the Edison bulb. And Tesla said why not create a light bulb that just creates light. So he invents the fluorescent light and the Tesla coil would would generate different frequencies. So when frequency A was vibrating, light bulbs A would light up. When frequency B was lighting, light bulbs B would light up. So imagine this, right? He's got this new fluorescent lighting, right? This new type of bulb essentially, but not a bulb. Um, and, And it's just there, it's not connected to any wires, but he turns on his Tesla coil and bing! They light up. And it's not hot like Edison's. I love how like at every twist and turn in this story, Tesla's like, well, it's better than Edison's. So (laughs) stick it to you, man. So then he thinks, right? He thinks, if I can light up one bulb with a small Tesla coil, imagine what I could do with a giant Tesla coil. He goes to Colorado Springs and for nine months works on a huge tower, a huge Tesla coil. It's got an 80-foot wooden base. Whoa. It's got a 142-foot mast on top of it. And apparently it would fire out man-made lightning more than 100 foot into the sky. Can you imagine? It's no wonder this guy's book is called Wizard. I mean, that's literally like a Fantasia situation. So he claims that this giant Tesla coil manages to send a signal several miles, lighting up vacuum tubes that are stuck in the ground quite a few miles away from this tower. This is disputed. I kind of was reading around it. Mm. It could actually be caused by conduction through the ground rather than through through the air. There's a confounding variable there, possibly. Mark actually told me about a time when he mentioned this at Niagara Falls. 
Falls. And so he even talks about that the very day that Niagara Falls is unveiled, and he speaks as the inventor in 1897 in January. He said, you know, this is the great, this is a great achievement that we have, but I've got even a better achievement. I'm going to be able to send electricity without wires from, uh, from continent to continent. This is classic Tesla. Back to his diaries where he was like, yeah, first try, did it, it was perfect. Now he's like standing at Niagara Falls. <laughs> hey, you see this? Lighting up all of the you Northeast. It's great, but I've got better. <laughs> Guess what we've got coming next? <laughs> he says, um, when wireless is fully applied, the earth will be converted into a huge brain capable of response in every one of its parts. As soon as completed, it will be possible for a businessman in New York to dictate instructions and have them instantly appear in type at his office in London or elsewhere. Oh my God. He will be able to call up from his desk and talk to any telephone subscriber on the globe. An inexpensive instrument, not bigger than a watch, will enable its bearer to hear anywhere on sea or land, music or song, the speech of a political leader, the address of an eminent man of science, or the sermon of an eloquent clergyman delivered in some other place, however distant. In the same manner, any picture character, drawing, or print can be transferred from one to another place. Are you joking? So Tesla, at the turn of the century, 18 to 1900s, he has predicted, essentially, smartwatches, TV, iPads, computers, the, I don't know, age of digital information before a computer, before any of that was real. And he's not the only person who's pursuing um, this this notion of wireless communication. There's a young Italian inventor called Guglielmo Googly, I do not know how to say that. <laughs> Google Mo, I've never. Mm-mm. Marconi. There you go. Uh, and he's been doing the same. And, and he's actually been having a lot of success. Well, Tesla had moved to Colorado Springs first to test his system. And while he was doing that, Marconi was in uh, New York City uh, covering the uh, America's Cup races with wireless. So Marconi could send um, uh, dots and dashes, Morse code. Tesla was using a continuous wave frequency, which would enable voice, pictures, and also power to be sent by uh, by wireless means. So Tesla's system was much more advanced than Marconi's, but Marconi was building up a huge enterprise. And so by the early 1900s, Marconi had uh, wireless stations all over the world, literally, on every continent. I'm never going to be over this. Are we sure that Tesla is not like a time traveler? He hasn't come <laughs> back from our time. Oh, there's plenty of fan art about that. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Kind of what they're doing. Um, and this technically isn't even 1900 by now. It's, it's just a couple of years before. The key to all this is that Marconi is building a system. It's going really well. He wants to send wireless messages and Tesla wants to do a way to send pictures and images and power. In 1899, while Tesla is in Colorado Springs, Marconi successfully sends a signal across the English Channel from uh, Boulogne in France to a lighthouse near Dover in England. And then a couple of years later, it's December 1901, Marconi sends a signal from England to Newfoundland across the Atlantic Ocean. So he gets the Nobel Prize for this because he really does send an electrical impulse. But it was a much inferior system. It could only send Morse code. It couldn't. You couldn't do voice and pictures. So I bet 
Tesla's feeling a little sore because he's like, well, my system is better and cooler and does more stuff. Why did Marconi get the Nobel Prize? Because Marconi's like, <laughs> you know, first to market, I guess, is a thing we used when we describe in tech. Um, but yeah, he's just sending Morse code. And Tesla's like, got these bigger ambitions. So all this kicks him up the butt, right? He ups a gear. He sets to work building an even bigger transmission tower oh, no. and a power plant to demonstrate this idea of uh, electrical power transmission without wires. It's called the Wardenclyffe Tower. He hires a, a really big name architect, Stanford White, and Stanford White draws up these plans for this 187 foot tower with a 55 ton steel sphere. Jeez, and under the tower, there's like loads going on. There's a shaft that goes down 120 feet into the ground. Then there's 16 iron pipes that are going to be driven 300 feet deeper so the currents could pass through them. And I quote, seize hold of the earth. <laughs> Not dramatic at all. Well, he says at the time, he says, in this system that I have invented, it is necessary for the machine to get a grip of the earth. Otherwise, it cannot shake the earth. It has to have a grip so the whole of this globe can quiver. This is huge. I mean, literally, this 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 is huge. Physically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he works on it for years. But Marconi's success continues. No. Including uh, that small matter of winning the Nobel Prize in physics in 1909 in recognition of his contributions to the development of wireless telegra telegraphy. Telegraphy? I can't remember. Telegraphy? Yeah. Got Eventually, nothing. Tesla's got to give up on, on Wardenclyffe Tower. Wait, but this is another instance of him being sort of nudged out by someone who's maybe got a better business head or a better business sense, like you said, first to market. Or perhaps a little bit less ambitions. Like, he just wants to send a signal. He doesn't want to also send power and, like, the potential of images and all that sort of stuff. Right, in a sense, Tesla's like almost too ahead of his time. Mark told me why he had to stop the project. And this actually throws back to something that you said earlier, Marin. And he never succeeded because he ran out of money with J.P. Morgan. Um, it's a terrible story because uh, uh, Morgan was afraid in a way that, that Tesla might succeed at Wardenclyffe. And if he did, if he succeeded in wireless power, then, you know, what about Morgan's copper mines and what about his rubber plantations and also all the lumber that he was building at all the telephone poles? So Tesla threatened all of these different systems. So he never completed uh, his, his ultimate plan. Can you imagine if he had succeeded and we get things like wireless transmission of images in like early 1900? Oh, That's boy. like steampunk alternate reality, yeah. right? William Gibson like yeah. territory. He needs the money. He needs the funding for this. And granted, it's probably taking bucket loads of it. But at the same time, there are all of these vested interests in industries that he threatens that are probably like, hey, maybe we should uh, make this not happen. This wouldn't be a good not idea. Happen. So let's turn to the final chapter of Tesla's life. He's living on the 33rd floor of the New Yorker Hotel, actually paid for by Westinghouse. Bougie. He's still having brilliant ideas. Uh, and this is where we get to these more surprising bits, these, these things that people might not know about Getting Tesla. more and more outlandish. Talking about things people don't know, I, I read that he's probably, you might not be surprised about this, a high-functioning autistic. And he actually does say in some writing, he says um, that he has a violent aversion against the earrings of women. Whoa. The sight of a pearl would almost give me a fit. Okay. Everybody's got their thing, you um, know? It's clearly got obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. He used to uh, shake people's hands and wash his hands three times. <laughs> He becomes obsessed with pigeons. One particular white female pigeon that he claims to love almost as much as he would a human being. Oh, Tesla, you can't marry a pigeon, man. <laughs> 
But you know what? Here's the thing. He's a genius, so he can do kind of whatever he wants. <laughs> All right. How do you feel about this? Um, apparently, uh, at one time, he's, you know, it's, he's asleep at night. And I think he's talking about a dream. I'm not sure. He says that he saw two powerful beams of light in the pigeon's eyes. And then it died in his arms. And he said then he knew he'd finished his life's work. I don't even have <laughs> an answer to that. Your face was just like... I got nothing, man. Anyway, on then to these kind of big ideas in this final chapter of his life. Uh, Surprisingly brilliant ones. So it's the start of World War One, and Tesla is kind of really driven to come up with ways to help the war effort. The first is radar. In 1917, Tesla wrote a huge article in The Electrical Experimenter where he explains that you can send an impulse out and uh, and bounce it off a, a submarine and it'll come back. And you know, it'll explain uh, where the where the where the submarine is located. So this is this idea, right? That you can detect submarines using high frequency radio waves. You can send them out; they'll bounce off the sub, they'll come back, and then you can show them on a fluorescent screen. That's incredible. Sound familiar? I mean, just a little bit. I feel like this is just another example of this technology that I totally take for granted and would never have attributed to Tesla. And it's all the same genius guy. He spent something like fifty million dollars a year developing radar and the Navy wouldn't listen to him and ships were getting sunk left, right and every which way until about 1943 when finally they adopted uh, the radar system. But if you look at the history of radar, Tesla played a huge role but his name has been eliminated. Wait, so he comes up with radar way before it actually gets used and the military's like, nah, doesn't sound legit. I did read somewhere that essentially this theoretical idea of Tesla's for radar wouldn't work in reality because the water would attenuate, it would reduce the radio waves. But Mark said, no, he did all the calculations and it, and it would have worked. So we could have had radar in World War I and we just didn't because people didn't want to listen to Tesla. Potentially. Whoa. I need to mention um, another invention that Tesla thought would help America win the war, actually. Uh, this one came earlier. This was after Niagara Falls, but before Wardenclyffe Tower. Yeah, trying to like keep track of this timeline through my brain. This is... um, right, here it is. Here it is. So in 1898, he unleashes or he unveils his remote control robotic boat. I think that was deserving a Nobel Prize because in that boat, he not only saw it as a, a, a robot, which was a, a machine that could think for itself and, and detect things that, you know, without you being there, but it, it, it also had its own mind. So this is the first ever autonomous vehicle. So he's doing this on the lake of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> right? can, you, can you imagine? This, this is the middle of New York. It's before the turn of the 20th century. And th- there's a boat that, yeah, it looks like it's controlling itself. Just like it's steering, so, its, I mean, steering it, itself around the lake. I mean, all of this sounds like science fiction, like someone just made it up. And if you were there and you were watching it, you'd, you'd think you were seeing... Well, you don't know what a robot is yet, but you think you're seeing this thing <laughs> that's completely in control of itself. And Tesla's idea is twofold, right? One, he thinks his, his boat can actually win the war because you could scale it up and, yeah. and send it into war zones. And then also for non-war times, he suggests, quote, a race of robots 
mechanical men which will do the laborious work of the human race. He has essentially invented robotics. This is at the turn of the century when you've got, you know, factory workers, industry is taking off and Tesla's once again decades ahead of everyone else and is like, yeah, but what if we got robots to do it? (laughs) Back to the 1910s, another one of the war-inspired ideas, um, as well as radar, he has the idea for aerial transportation, which is a cross between a helicopter and an aeroplane. And if you think about what that actually looks like, that's essentially the precursor to today's uh, VSTOL, the STOL, uh, the vertical short takeoff and landing, I think it stands for. Mm. With a lot of these things, you can kind of look backwards. I think it was Steve Jobs that said, it's only when you look back, you can connect the dots. Mm. And and so you can kind of see like, oh, I see, he he invented the precursor to V-Star or like, this is robotics. But sure, because, being kind because of anachronistic only from with this. here can you look forward and say that this was going to become this. Because at the time, it was just this crazy, wild, new, harebrained idea. Yeah, and talking of harebrained ideas, it's time to talk Death Beam. I'm so ready. Right. I've been waiting. <laughs> the New York Times reports that Tesla has a plan for a death beam that could knock 10,000 enemy airplanes out of the sky. It just never stops with Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> it never, never slows down. Okay, so how does this death ray work? It's kind of an extension of his Tesla coil invention. I'll let Mark explain. You know, if you send a flashlight out, the beam spreads out so much it loses all its power. But a laser beam is a concentrated beam that doesn't spread out at all. So Tesla had the idea similar to a laser beam of sending little pellets, a single pellet out. Tesla turns to JP Morgan for funding, right? Morgan has been a kind of big part of this story. He's funded many of Tesla's projects previously, including Wardenclyffe Tower. Right, but then pulled out and said, hey man, you can't have more money, this is crazy. Morgan doesn't give him funding for this. Yeah, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Um, Tesla also turns to British Prime Minister Chamberlain, but no luck. Because he's (laughs) like, hey, this this is really useful for the war effort. Yeah. Then he turns to the Soviet Union. (gasps) Is the conspiracy theory that we think the Soviet Union has a death ray because Tesla gave it to them? I guess that would be hilarious. I found unclassified information, which recently declassified information from the Russians, that Tesla sold the patent uh, for for his idea. uh, uh, It's probably a secret patent because it's not listed in the patent office. But he sold the idea for the uh, particle beam weapon to the Russians in 1935. You were close, right? Apparently Tesla could have sold his death ray plans to the Russians. That's hysterical. I mean, that's so funny. The Russians were like, yeah, man, we'll take this on. Absolutely. Let me explain what happens when Tesla dies in 1943. Okay. So the assistant director of New York FBI says, and I quote, that they are vitally interested in Tesla's papers. And the Office of Alien Property go to his hotel room and seize all of his possessions. An alien, like, No, uh, I did look it up. And essentially, it's an office within the government uh, of the United States. It's during World War I, um, and again, actually, during World War II. And they take responsibility for protecting property that belonged to U.S. enemies. Tesla is seen as a U.S. enemy. <gasps> He's a threat. Well, only because you guys didn't buy into his idea and he had to take it elsewhere. Really, this someone is not his fault. Someone to analyze all of his papers. Okay, And that someone is an electrical engineer with the National Defense Research Committee of the Office of Scientific Research and Development. And that person's name is Dr. John G. Trump, the paternal uncle what? of Donald Trump. No, you're, no, you're joking. I thought so that was going to be a Trump's coincidence. Uncle is called in to analyze Tesla's papers. 
throughout this whole episode, I've been thinking, okay, this cannot get weirder. This cannot get weirder. This cannot get weirder. And now here we are at the end. It is the weirdest so it Donald has Trump's ever uncle, been. Uh, John spends three days investigating uh, Tesla's papers. Essentially, John concludes that Tesla's latest research, I quote, did not include new, sound, workable principles or methods. Oh, so he's basically like, nah, Tesla's gone off the deep end. This isn't worth anything. Nothing, nothing dangerous has why, come out of this. A couple of years later, there's a renewed interest in beam weapons. Copies of those papers, which John Trump has said, you know, don't include any new kind of principles, but copies of those papers are sent to an Air Force base in Ohio. An operation is started that's codenamed Project Nick, and it's set up to test the feasibility of Tesla's concept. Yeah, it seems weird if you've already determined that it's uh, not workable. So conspiracy theory klaxon, again, right? Details of the experiment are never published and the copies of his papers vanish and no one knows where they went. Oh what my a God. story. I asked Mark what Tesla means to him. I think he's one of the most amazing people of, of our day. I think the more you study Tesla, the more you learn. He's kind of Leonardo da Vinci of you know the last hundred years and uh, it's just it's just such an oh. incredibly exciting <laughs> life to study yeah at that point mark got a phone call because we've been talking for so long i think he was late to like all of his meetings i mean how can you not <laughs> tesla's life is so full of amazing stuff Oh, huge, huge thanks to Mark Cypher for that long conversation that we had. He has got a new book. It's called Tesla Wizard at War, which covers a lot of kind of the stuff I was telling you there in that kind of final phase of his life. It's got new unclassified information from Russians, from the Americans, from the CIA and the the FBI on his work with particle beam weapons. So yeah, keep an an eye out for that. I'm so excited. I mean, you definitely have a new tesla fangirl in me because i had no idea about all this nuance all this richness i mean it can't possibly seem real when you hear it all put together that this one man did all of these things it was quite quite phenomenal i loved listening to it greg thank you so much for telling me so well about tesla so much fun (laughs) if you loved hearing about tesla as much as i did we would really love if you rate and review this show wherever you're listening to it because it really helps us grow as does telling all your friends about it we'd love for them to listen too we've got more episodes coming soon and so we really hope you subscribe to catch them all as they come out and if you have a story like tesla's from science history that you want to hear us tell or you want to hear about a person a discovery an invention you want to know the story behind, you can email us brilliant at seeker.com. That's brilliant at seeker.com. Credits time. Surprisingly Brilliant is a podcast from Seeker. Today's episode was researched, written and produced by me, Greg Foote. Uh, If you want to catch me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, etc. It's just at Greg Foote. You did a brilliant job, Greg. It was listened to and very much enjoyed by me, Marin Hunsberger. If you want to get in touch with me on Instagram, I'm at Marin B, at Marin Hunsberger on Twitter, Marin Hunsberger on YouTube. I host videos on Seeker YouTube as well. So check it out. Our expert producer was Emily Feld. Our editor was Jeremy Schmidt. Uh, Our studio engineer was Ariana Markowitz. Our supervising producer was David Zwick. And our executive producers are Brian Pendergast, Brett Kushner and Mangesh Hadikador. Finally, another big thanks to our guest expert, Mark Seifer. All the sources that I used and uh, links to his books and stuff are in the show notes. We'll see you next time. I think I need to lie down. Yeah, I think we're going to need to take a big break after this. (laughs) Thanks, Greg. And then we'll be back and you'll be telling me the next story. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye. Bye.